Happy Black History Month. I want to share with you one really great website that's doing a lot of things related to board games and black history, and that's Board Game Geek. If you go to the website, you can see some really amazing designers that are highlighted or content creators that are highlighted in the industry. Really, really cool what they're doing this month. So be sure to check that out. And coming up on today's episode, we have a pretty important topic when it comes to the board game hobby, education, and just the world in general. So I'm excited to have Eric on the show to chat about inclusion and diversity in game design. And I also have Dave on as a co-host too, and he had chatted on a panel about a topic very similar to the one we'll discuss on the episode today. So Coming up, we have a few links, uh, a lot of links, actually, a lot of information coming from this show and this episode, but I want to really point you in the direction of one video that I watched recently that really got me thinking, and I really appreciated what I was able to sit in on and listen to this conversation, and this is a video put together by Jason from Shelf Stories, and it's titled, Panel of Black Creators in Board Games Chat with Friends. So, I highly recommend checking out this video after listening to the show. I think one thing we can all benefit from is learning from different perspectives and experiences. And I think this is a very valuable video when it comes to the board game space. So check that one out after this podcast episode and let's get into the show in this very important conversation. Board Gaming with Education, a podcast for anyone curious about how games and education mix. We explore various topics like game-based learning, gamification, and board games, and the impacts they have on learning. Here's your host, Dustin Stats. So welcome to another Board Game with Education episode. Today I have my co-host Dave for this episode. I'm super excited to be joined by Dave. Welcome back. Hey, Dustin. And I know you're doing a conference in April. I don't know the exact date, but would you mind sharing a little bit more about that? Because I know it's definitely in line with what our listeners are coming to the show about. Sure. Thanks, Justin. So the conference is the Games-Based Learning Virtual Conference. It's happening uh, Friday, April 16th, Saturday, April 17th, and Sunday, April 18th, uh, completely online. We've got a lot of really great speakers lined up, um, everything from uh, Constance Steinkuhler uh, from the University of California, Irvine, talking about games for learning, to Tracy Fullerton, who wrote the, the seminal work on game design, to um, uh, New Jersey's own Jeff Engelstein, talking about his work, uh, publishing about game mechanics. Uh, if you'd like some more information or would just like to sign up to attend, uh, the website is gblconference.com. That website is gblconference.com, and you can sign up. We're going to have um, early bird tickets all the way up until um, March 16th, I believe. So don't wait. Act soon. Super awesome. I and mean, I'm excited for that conference. I know uh, we need more of these types of conferences that are related to game-based learning gamification, so excited to attend. All right, Dave, we're going to go into our topic, and then we'll be back just after our chat with Eric. Welcome to another topical episode of Board Game with Education. I am thrilled to be joined by Eric Ad Eric Agudelo. I think I said it right. Good <laughs> Awesome. And we're talking about diversity and inclusion in games. So I'm excited to get some expertise knowledge from Eric and learn a little bit more about this topic. But before we get there, I, I want to introduce Eric. He's a game designer 
and he has some experience in designing games for education. And he's working on a couple of projects in that sphere right now, but I'm going to let him share a little bit about that. Eric, would you mind introducing yourself a little more? Sure, Dustin, and thank you for having me. So um, the games I'm working with at the moment are primarily uh, low-tech, so I'm focusing on game design, more game design, but obviously there is opportunity to take the designs further and use digital elements, such as uh, even creating replicas of the board games using tools such as uh, tabletop uh, simulators. But uh, nonetheless, yes, I'm focusing on the use of game design as a form of education, and I'm doing that with the University of Economics, Krakow. And um, another big project that I'm working with uh, is on the use of artificial, artificial intelligence in order to capture behaviors when people interact with games and try to make some predictions based on those behaviors that we can use for uh, different things. But that one I am working with at Trinity College and is kind of work in progress because in order to develop the AI, I will need um, uh, the funding needs to be bigger than what I'm doing at the University of Economics Krakow, which is pretty much in the University of Economics Krakow and doing it out of my own pockets. And it's, it's not so difficult to do it. Right, right. I imagine there's a much larger budget when it comes to comes to AI, right? Yes. Awesome. So I want to go into our topic where we're going to first define diversity and inclusion. Can you define those terms for us? Um, yeah, I was thinking about it. And even though I have written uh, two papers on the, on the issue, it's difficult to explain. So one technique that I learned sometime in the past is perhaps to try to explain it for what is not or the opposite. And the first thing that I came that came to my mind when I was thinking of the opposite, sorry, the opposite of diversity and inclusion, is perhaps uh, discrimination. And uh, for example, in Europe, when we study employment law, which I happen to study, there are seven grounds for discrimination, and you can, you know, people that are, say, for example, find themselves in such situations, they can be on either side of the arguments, on the grounds of discrimination for, say, for example, age, sex, disability ethnicity and religion and sexual orientation. So I would say that diversity and inclusion in games are games that address these topics and have a good balance offered to the players. And uh, at this point, I also want to say that diversity and inclusion can be addressed in two different ways uh, based on the research that I have done. is either the game is diverse and inclusive or the people who worked on creating the game, they were working under a diverse and inclusive background. And as a result of that, they produce a more diverse and inclusive game without formally having to address those issues. Right. Yeah. If I mean, if someone is designing a game, hands down their experience and background and I guess whatever they've experienced in their life is going to be a product of the game, right? So if you have people that are de designing a game with diverse backgrounds, you're going to likely see some of that show up in the game. Exactly. And that's one of the premises that a lot of people use when they address diversity and inclusion in team formation, which is something that I push pretty much in all the team exercises that I do, regardless whether they address diversity and inclusion or not, is that the more diverse the team, the better the product will be. 
So what would you say an example or do you have a good example of a game that is a game that uses diversity or inclusion either in the design or as a product of the game well? One game, and uh, it's a simple game to play, beautiful. Uh, it's, a, it's a board game called Azul, uh, Azul Summer Pavilion. And um, I happened to buy this game when I was doing a bit of research on diversity and inclusion. And the two things were not connected at all. I just happened to buy the game and then I was playing it and I realized uh, something really interesting. One thing that affects lots and lots of people, and in fact, it affects, affects more people as we get older because our eyes start to deteriorate, is um, to be colorblind. Maybe we are not bor born colorblind, but our ability, the ability of our eyes to detect some colors deteriorates through the years. So what I'm saying is, if you put together the amount of people who were born with some form of colorblindness, plus that everyone's eyes, as a matter of fact, more men than women, their eyes start to deteriorate, more people need support in order to capture information in gameplay, not only through color. So the mistake number one when you're a designer is if you're talking about uh, transmitting information through color, when you transmit information only through color. So, I mean, the game I was talking about, Azul, it has these beautiful, beautiful little tiles that you have to arrange together and, you know, recreate a pavilion, uh, the pavilion of uh, a king in, in Portugal. And the, the tiles come in four colors. But, for example, some people can sometimes mix dark orange and red. And I am one of those people. And what, what I realized the designers did is the red color has a symbol and the orange doesn't. So even when you mix the colors, you know that the one with the symbol is a color and the other one without it is a different color. So this is a really good example of having a beautiful game that has beautiful colors, but if a person with, say, for example, color blindness happens to buy the game, they can still play it because the designers paid a lot of attention and were careful enough to consider this, I would assume so, I don't know the whole story behind the design of the game, but I would assume they did. And they put the symbols on the colors just to make sure that color is not the only source of information. So this is really good design, I would say. Right. That's, I mean, that's a really good example. It's where the design of the game makes access to the game more universal. There's, there's a really cool, I am trying to find it. I'm going to say it from memory, but a really cool meme. And it's um, a school employee shoveling snow outside of a school. And there's a ramp with snow covered and there's steps with snow covered. I'm not 100% if this is <laughs> what the meme looks like, but it's kind of the idea of behind the meme. And there's someone in a wheelchair that wants to get into the school. And then there's all the other students that want to get into the school. And the janitor says something along the lines, I'm shoveling these steps so all these kids can get into the school. And then the student in the wheelchair says, well, you know, if you shovel this ramp, we could all get into the school, including myself and the other students. So you make that more accessible to more people. Exactly. And another topic that I put forward in one of the, the papers that I wrote on, on the topic and that I hope that more people understand is that maybe, okay, yeah, maybe you need to put a few extra hours of design and ensuring that you have a diverse and inclusive team 
to begin with in order to produce a diverse and inclusive product. But once you do, once you have that base cover, the products you're going to develop is going to be purchased and used by more people than if you didn't. So in the case of, for example, the, the ramp, anyone can use a ramp, but not everyone can use the steps. So, yeah. Right, right. So I wonder, we kind of touched on why it's important. Can you share a little bit more, talk a little bit more why it's important to consider these things in designing games? Uh, well, there are a couple of uh, answers. Uh, one is that we must, especially in games for education. Games for education have to be well-designed games. If, if, if we cut corners in a commercial game, okay, you know, whatever. But if we cut corners in a game for education, we are risking exposing the people we want to help, which in this case are the learners, to something that is not of good quality, of good quality. And I would believe that if people are in the business of games for education, it's because they really are passionate about what they do. And also to safeguard these requirements, when it comes to games for education, if you want to, say, for example, access the markets of schools, universities, or even working with um, people on the age, you know, children on the age, there are lots of... Um, you know, hoops that we have to jump through. And these hoops are designed in order to ensure that, well, more and more, in order to ensure that the solutions that we are putting through, be it games or um, models or, or frameworks for education using games, are diverse and inclusive. So, I mean, the first answer is we have to because we sh should do it anyway. But the second is that now there's more and more regulation put in place to ensure that our games comply with the minimum amount of um, diversity and inclusion. And the third is that, as, as we mentioned already, a game that is designed with this, let's call them best practices in mind, will be a more successful commercially uh, game. Right. I think it goes back to that idea, too, where if you're creating a game that's more diverse and more inclusive, you're creating a game that's more appealing to a larger group of people. Indeed, indeed. And another example that I read about, I haven't had the chance to experience, experience it myself, but uh, it, it was a, um, a case that they did a study on Fortnite and they realized that a lot of people were changing the color, color settings on the game for color blindness. And they said, okay, but this is not right. You know, not 40% of the players can be, okay, it wasn't 40%, but it was a high number. But um, it didn't match with the expected number of uh, people with color blindness, color blindness. And they decided to do a bit of research about it. And it turns out that by using these uh, settings for color, color blindness, it makes it easier for the players to see, for example, certain objects. And ultimately, what everyone wants in any game is to win it. So they were using these settings because it made the game better for them to perform some, some actions. And um, so it, it goes back to, to, to all of this that, that we discussed that um, when you create a game that, is, uh, that takes in consideration the needs of people with, uh, let's call it, specific needs, it may, it may be the case that 
these settings or these characteristics characteristics of the game are beneficial for a lot more people than you initially uh, thought. Right, and I do want to I want to give a shout out to a game I've been playing recently that was really great at showing representation in their game, and it's part of I went and looked up the their Instagram. I knew the company, but I went to go check out their Instagram after playing the game. And I believe this is part of their mission statement since it's in their uh, Instagram profile biography, if that's what that's called. But it says games are for everyone. We make games more accessible on a global scale and empower new gamers. And that's Deepwater Games and their game floor plan had a lot of different uh, characters from different um, cultural backgrounds, from different um, paying attention to pronouns and representation in sexes and uh, all different diverse characters in the game, which was really cool. And uh, something that came to my mind as you were talking about uh, representation, because, okay, so far probably I focus a little bit um, or entirely on, say, for example, um, disabilities and other things, but diversity and inclusion includes a lot more, you know. So um, gender, um, we talked about it, uh, or I mentioned that is. Should, should be also uh, included, and um, ethnicity. And um, when, when you see characters that are carefully created and they represent people from different parts of the world, that makes the game, again, more entertaining for the players. That's proven already. Not everyone, or we, at some points, it was okay, but it's not anymore, that all the characters are of you know, one ethnicity. Now people want to see, and the game becomes more interesting when you have different ethnicities. But uh, another issue that happens is when players, especially uh, children, but I, I believe it also happens with adults, when they see a character that either consciously or unconsciously remind them of who we are, we feel more attached to the character and, and therefore to the game. So it is kind of a win-win situation to have all of this uh, diversity and inclusion built into the game and into the characters that we create. Right. I think um, I'm trying to process that through uh, the psychology of, I guess, development, right? When you grow up and you are watching certain types of characters or, I mean, there's a huge movement for representing more women in superhero movies right and having that empowerment for women and little girls so i wonder for for me personally and what maybe you have some tips for others who are thinking about this and how they can be sure whether they think about diversity and inclusion or consider how or why it's important um for me i've that's something that always crosses my mind and i always try to be more inclusive in my podcast and my guests that come on the show and my community. And I'm trying to always consider that, but I wonder if you have any suggestions for me or for others on what we can do to make sure that's something that's on the forefront of what we're doing. So, I mean, the first thing is we need to be upfront and we need to be honest that if you try to create a game, especially if you're a small company and then you want to address all the potential diversity and inclusion issues, it will be impossible because it, it, it will be impossible. You know, for example, if you are developing a game console that needs to be played by somebody, for example, who cannot use both arms, I'm not saying that you cannot produce such games that do exist, but the controls will be so specific that if 
your company at, at, at this stage is on the point of, say, for example, trying to make profit to stay in business, uh, you know, it's a, it's a difficult decision to make. Nonetheless, even though we cannot address all the diversity and inclusion issues, we can address a lot of them by actively considering, and this, I would say, is the answer to your question, by actively considering diversity and inclusion. And the best way to do it is by actively pursuing a diverse and inclusive team. Because when you expose people to your prototype, and usually the first people that see the prototype are those working in it, they will be able to see you know, things and without necessarily saying, okay, you know, this is a diverse and inclusive issue, let's address it, blah, blah, blah. They just change the design of the game or propose changes that they consider are uh, important, you know, and, and it's kind of part of the benefits of having a diverse and inclusive team. But another way to do it as well is when you test your game, when you test your, the prototype of your game, be conscious that, I mean, if you want to sell the game in the neighborhood where you, where you grew up to maximum 10 people, fine, sure, test it there. And don't complain when the game doesn't sell in China or, or in India. But if you're just, you know, trying to design a game and you want this game to be sold or used for, by people in all over the world, try to test it with as many people as you can. So I would say, yeah, that's the final recommendation. Right. That's, I mean, that's so, so, so important too. And I remember thinking about that when I was, I was listening to some game design podcasts and that thought had never crossed my mind before, but it's so obvious. It's, you, you need to play test your game with people in different, I guess, I don't know, with different experiences, different backgrounds, especially if you're trying to create a game that's more universal. I, I don't know, like, I guess it really depends on your audience, but most of the time you want a diverse playtest group, right? And it has to be actively pursued. You know, it's not just saying, oh, well, sure, I playtested with people in my, say, for example, local library, and whoever came in, I cannot control that. Okay, yeah, perhaps we cannot control that, but we can try to push for more diverse uh, playtesters by going to areas where we traditionally wouldn't go or, or, or finding other, other alternatives. But I mean, the, the, the key is to actively pursue diversity because, and, and inclusion, because if we think it's gonna happen organically, uh, it may, but it may not. Right, that's awesome. And that's, I mean, I'm thinking of it from a teaching perspective too, when I'm thinking about my students in the classroom and being conscious about lessons, lesson designs or any games I bring into the classroom and thinking about, well, is this a, a game that's kind of been through that process, I would feel more comfortable bringing it into my classroom because I know my students have a lot of diverse backgrounds and influences and experiences. Exactly. And, you know, with the classroom, you know, the game can be beautiful. I can explain many things, but imagine you are uh, showing a game to primary school uh, children and the game is about, say, for example, fire and safety. And then all of the sudden, all the fire people are firemen and then they are rescuing a lot of women, you know. Okay, you, you may teach the kids the importance of fire safety, but at, at the, on the other hand, you're also, in a way, letting them know that the people that are coming to the rescue are always going to be men rescuing women, which we know is, is wrong. But we 
don't pay too much attention because, or we didn't pay too much attention because we thought that the main learning outcome of the game was to teach, say, for example, um, fire and safety. And that's why we need to be careful with, as I said at the beginning, especially designers of games for education that are going to be uh, presented or the products are going to be presented to children, to learners who happen to be children. That's when we need to be a little bit extra careful. Right, right. And so do you have any resources that maybe someone can, um, any resource suggestions for others that they can go to to learn more about this topic or to, I don't know, I guess help them be more diverse and inclusive to consider those things in their lives? Um, there are lots. I can't, I, from the top of my head, I don't, but I wrote a, an academic paper published by the University of Economics, Krakow, and all the citations are there. I suppose, you know, I can send you the link. And now that I'm thinking, um, Extra Credits, the YouTube channel has a, an, am an amazing um, playlist on diversity and inclusion. And uh, that's a really good way to start. Right. And I, I love Extra Credits, the, the YouTube channel. So if, you if you're listening and you haven't checked it out, I would definitely recommend checking out Extra Credits. And I'll, I'll link, if you send me the link to your paper, I can definitely add that to the show notes too. Yeah, I will do. Um, I was briefly, well, not briefly, but try quickly reading the paper just before uh, our talk, just to refresh my memory. And uh, yeah, the, the paper is freely available as, as long as you have the link to it. So I will share that with you. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much for that. And before we move into our game, is there any last thing you'd want to share with anyone listening today? Well, but, uh, okay, one, one project that I'm working on at the moment and it will come to uh, its final conclusion in, in two days is I actually gave my first you know, TEDx talk. The format has changed a little bit because now with Corona, we have to do the recording at home rather than doing it in public. And uh, the recording is not live, but it's, as I said, it's a recording and then it has to be sent to the organizer of the TEDx events, which is independently organized. But um, it will be live in, in, in two days. So I presume by the time your audience listens to this, it should be available on the internet. So um, yeah, I will invite you to come in and listen to that and to also my colleagues because the topic that I chose, and I think, um, okay, the, the, the main topic is climate change. But I um, address it from the point of view of using game design as a tool to understand complex systems such as climate change. And I believe many other people in the group also use game design as a form of education in order to you know, fight against climate crisis. So. Awesome. Yeah, I'll definitely, maybe if we have a link to that, add that to the show notes too. All right, Eric, stick around. We'll be back with you and Dave to play a game after our chat with Dave. All right, and we're back. And Dave, we were chatting before we started recording, and I kind of knew you had done something similar on a panel discussion related to this topic. Would you mind sharing a little bit about that panel, and then maybe we can talk about this conversation that Eric and I had. Sure. So one of the panels I'd done before with uh, was with one of our colleagues, uh, Jess Crean, Jessica Crean, 
it was a panel called Representation in Games. And in that panel uh, that we did for PAX Online, uh, we talked about how uh, different individuals and people from different groups and constituencies are basically represented in games. Um, uh, individuals maybe from uh, different backgrounds and experiences, as well as people um, who maybe have different needs and uh, abilities that uh, require games to, to help cater to them so that they can experience it as well. So uh, that was a panel that we had recorded a while ago. Um, I've shared with uh, you, Dustin, and I think should be available in the show notes, a link if you'd like to see um, a free replay, a recording of that panel. So that'll be available in the show notes. Super awesome. And so let's kind of talk a little bit about what Eric and I discussed. And for me, this is something I'm always learning about and always trying to do better at. Um, but what are some things that kind of stood out from the conversation between myself and Eric? So I think that uh, the the word of the day for this particular episode was diversity. And I think that you know, Eric talked about discrimination as sort of the opposite of diversity, but some other words that I would also like to include would be words like exclusion or homogeneity, where, you know, everyone is from the same background or uh, experiences or, or mindset, uh, prejudice and inequity. So really, when I think Eric is talking about representation, what I'm thinking about is how can we make our games and how can we make our, our experiences with our students more inclusive and how can we provide a more equitable experience for a lot of different players? A lot of that has to deal with diversity and representation, but a lot of it also has to deal with uh, accessibility and access to our different games. That's super, super true. And I think one thing that Eric had talked about is having a diverse or having representation in the design team um, of the game. And having that allows for a better product in the end, for it lasts for a better game in the end, right? Because then you have all these different experiences contributing to that game development. Yeah, exactly. And I think that uh, since your game design is really a product of your experience, a lot of this translates between games and education. Um, because if you're of the mindset that I believe in education is the transformation of experience into knowledge, then that type of experience that your individual players or students have are really going to be informed by how you as a game designer or you as the educator present that experience to your students. So I think it's incredibly um, important that individual educators and designers be as inclusive and as equitable and be as represent, uh, representative as possible in their designs and in their teaching. Yeah, and that's super important. Again, you just said teaching and, and whenever you use games and teaching, it's also important to consider uh, how that game comes across with to your students. Um, one example that I've learned in my game-based learning slash gamification journey is that competitive games aren't always the answer. Um, those aren't necessarily the most engaging for all students. And it's important to kind of learn what parts of that competition are toxic and how to avoid that in your classroom. Yeah, I think that a lot of educators, particularly when they want to use games-based learning for the first time, they'll turn to the games that they played a lot as you know, individual players or as children or anything else. While competition can be useful in some circumstances, I think that when teachers are looking to start using games-based learning for the first time, it's often a better approach to uh, 
to focus on games that have more cooperative elements. I think like one of the biggest um, titles out there, not just because it's a cooperative game, but because it's a good game is Pandemic as a, a game that includes those cooperative elements. But another one that I believe we talked about before is called um, Magic Maze, which is a real-time cooperative uh, tabletop game where individual players are responsible for moving common characters, but in very specific directions. It's super fun, and it's something that I've used with my own students in the past for uh, training and team building. Yeah, that's super awesome. I think that's one we we need to get added to our store. That's I know it's came up several times or come up several times, but I just I always forget about it. That's a good one. All right, so Dave, do you have anything else to add based on the kind of conversation that Eric and I had? Yeah, I think that uh, one of the important things that Eric brought up before is sort of like the future direction of when it comes to uh, the player experience and individual people uh, playing uh, games in general, usually against um, an artificial intelligence or anything else. Um, I sent you this before, but in the show notes, you should be able to see um, two news items that I think would be useful for your listeners. One of them is on the future of AI and video games and how that affects the human connection. And then the second one is on AlphaGo, which is a, uh, a program that was created in order to beat the best Go players in the world. And if you've never heard of Go, it's one of the oldest um, board games available. It's a tabletop game that is uh, very simple to play, but takes uh, almost a lifetime to master. So I recommend that people check out those two articles. Super awesome. Thank you for sharing those too. All right, so let's move into our game. We're going to play Wavelength. All right, so Eric, we're going to move into our game. I was explaining this game a little bit to you, but for anyone listening maybe haven't that hasn't played it before or didn't listen to previous episodes, the game is called Wavelength, and you can actually play the game on longwave.web.app online, but it's based off the board game Wavelength. And in the game, there's a dial. And the dial moves all the way to the left, all the way to the right, and there's a range on the dial. The left represents one end of the spectrum where where the right represents the other end of the spectrum. And you might have spectrums like cold to hot or uh, sweet to spicy or salty (laughs) or supervillain to superhero. Those are some examples. I just used the website to come up with my range for our game. So on the far left and in the podcast, we're going to represent the far left as a zero would be unnatural. And the far right would be 100, and that would be natural. So our range, again, is unnatural to natural, 0, unnatural, 100, natural. And I have a number that I want you to guess. So the number is between 0 and 100. And I have a clue to give you that represents a number on that scale of 0 to 100 of unnatural to natural. So... The clue I'm going to give you is cardboard. So think about the scale of zero unnatural to 100 natural. Where does cardboard fall? I would put cardboard on 22. All right. That's that's pretty close. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm learning I'm not very good at giving these clues. <laughs> I put the number was. Okay, so zero is unnatural to 100 being natural? Correct. 
Okay, so with cardboard, uh, I guess without asking any clarifying questions, I would have to go with, um, I would have to say 40, I think, because cardboard doesn't occur naturally, but it is made out of like wood fibers and paper and everything else. So it's not like completely 22. unnatural. So I would go with 40. That would be my, my final answer. <laughs> the number was 45. <laughs> oh, I missed it. So you were, I guess my clue was okay. Cause you got it got almost it. spot on. Almost. Yeah. And Eric went a little bit lower. So yeah, I think you were, you were on the right track with my clue is I thought that cardboard is something that is recycled. So it comes from something natural, but usually it's, um, and it depends on the type of cardboard, right? You can get very recycled down cardboard. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Awesome. So Dave, thank you again for coming on the show. If anyone wanted to reach out to you, where might they do that? And can you share the conference again, just the, maybe the quick recap of what that is and where to find that? Sure. So if uh, any of your listeners want to find me, best place is uh, my website. My website is universityxp.com. That's university, the letter X, the letter P.com. And again, uh, we're hosting the GameSpace Learning Virtual Conference. It's happening Friday, April 16th. Saturday, April 17th, and Sunday, April 18th, 2021, completely online. Uh, if people want to sign up for it, you can do so at gblconference.com. That's G is in games, B is in based, L is in learning, conference.com. Early bird tickets uh, will end on March 16th, 2021. So don't wait, act soon. Super awesome. Thank you again, Dave. Thank you, Dustin. Eric, thank you again for coming on the show. If anyone wants to reach out to you or, again, let them know what kind of projects you're working on, how might they do that? Sure. So my website is three words put together, playlearndevelop.ie for, for Ireland's the Ireland domain. And through there, you can find all my social media and what I'm doing. And, uh, yeah, my research as well is um, I share it through social media. and. Usually it is a combination of play, learn, develop. So in LinkedIn or Twitter, uh, if you put those those three words, you probably most likely will find me. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, uh, Dustin, for having me. It was a really good conversation. Thank you for listening in this week. If you like what you heard, be sure to let us know. You can find us on social media as Board Gaming with Education or BGE Games or email us at podcast at boardgamingwitheducation.com. If you want to support our podcast, be sure to check out our support page on our website. As always, teach better, learn more, and most importantly, play more. Thank you for listening and until next time.